Well, good morning, everyone. How many times has somebody said good morning to you this morning? Still not noon yet, so I'll say it again. So if you could open, we are in James, the book of James again, and we are in chapter 4. We're going to look at the first 10 verses, verses 1 through 10. Uh, if you could turn, flip in your Bibles, uh, that would be a very good thing. Uh, most of the verses, everything we see in, in James chapter 4, we will have on the screens for you. If you don't have a Bible, if you need one, there should be one in front of you, of course. That's in the ESV. We will be reading or reading off the screens uh, out of the New King James Version for those who kind of wonder, what version is that that Jim has up there? Uh, so one thing I want to say is, Aaron, first of all, thank you very much. Seth, for Sunday school, thank you very much as well. Um, so a couple weeks ago, I was up in Michigan uh, for work, and this was, right, a couple of weeks ago. It's a couple of weeks before Thanksgiving, right? And I was driving into Grand Rapids in the western part of the state, and I was just kind of, I thought, well, I just want to listen to something on the radio. And I went to that station, Christmas music. And I went to another station, Christmas music. I ended up listening to a Christian podcast, but I was like, it's too early for this, right? It's Christmas music. Uh, if you go to Lowe's or Home Depot or all those places, Christmas was put out when? Late September or in October. Uh, so the seasons come and go. They come really fast, don't they? So forgive me if I sound like I have a cold. I have a little bit of a cold, so forgive me if you hear that. I'm, I have some halls up here in my pocket, so pray that I don't have to use that. The beautiful thing about <clears throat> the expositional form of teaching, it's a good thing and it's a not-so-good thing. This morning is probably the not-so-good thing, is that we just celebrated what? As a family and with your own families, we just celebrated Thanksgiving. Okay, We have so much to be thankful for. But we happen to land in the first 10 verses of James chapter 4, and this is a very hard reading. And there is some thankfulness when you get to around verses 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, and 10, but the first four verses are hard, but we have to go through them because that's the beauty of expositional teaching is that you don't jump around it, you go right through it, and you attack it, and you study it. And so praise the Lord that we're going to do that today. So let's go ahead and turn there. Hopefully you're there. You're there before me. But here we go. <clears throat> James 4, verses 1 through 10. Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? You lust and you do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask amiss, that you may spend it on your pleasures. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously? But he gives more grace. 
Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Happy Thanksgiving. <laughs> you see what I had to deal with in preparing for this message today? Because I want to commend, I want to commend um, those who were here on Thursday. Thank you so much for coming. Those who made preparations, those who um, brought food, who did all the setup, the tear down, the cleaning up, everything. Thank you. On behalf of Pastor Mike and myself, we just appreciate everybody's participation. Um, it was nice just to sit down and, and I ate, when I was one of the last ones to eat, I missed out on some of the good, good stuff, but that's okay. Uh, I probably didn't need to eat it anyway, uh, as you know, but it was nice just to watch you all be you. You understand what I mean by that? Watch you all disfellowship with each other. Amen? Just have fun. Because many people across our, our country, the holidays, Aaron mentioned it earlier, holidays are not joyous times, right? They see family that they probably don't care about very much. They see family that they... Probably don't even see that much, let alone care, but they don't see them. Maybe they see them once or twice a year, right? And here we see each other every week. And then we come on Thanksgiving. And then we come at potluck, right, Mike? We do all these things together. We're going to go to the hospital and, on December 5th and have a good time there as well. Because you know why? Because we love each other. And I wish you could have just had my vantage point of just watching everybody go through the line and standing in the gym in the corner, you all probably didn't even notice I was doing it, and just soaking it in and looking at everybody. You all do life very well together, and I really appreciate that. And then after I had my fill, I said, let's go out and watch those guys kill each other out there playing football. And that's what we did. And guess what we saw? We didn't see any fights. We saw some pretty good hits every once in a while, though. There might have been one that looked a little retaliatory, I'm not sure. One was picked up and thrown out of bounds. No names, nothing like that. Everybody walked off the field. What I don't know is if they actually were able to get out of bed the next morning. That's what I don't know. You know, let me know after the services if that, if that were you, because it would have been me. And that's why I didn't, didn't play. So you don't want me out there. My days, my playing days are over. So we are months and months into the book of James, right? James chapter 4, after this, we have one more chapter to go. And we have the end of the year coming too. But I wanted to take us back, and I want to ask this question. Who was the book of James written to? Who was it written to? James, a servant of God. Thank you guys for changing the slide. It looks better that way. Those guys are tremendous back there. They, they make Mike and I and the others that get up here look really good because mine didn't look this good. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to who? 
to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. And then it says greetings. Okay, so if you look at uh, Strong's G1290, diaspora, we know it as the dispersion of the diaspora. Basically, it's a scattering. So what happened is that God, in his sovereign wisdom, scattered the Jews away from the Holy Land. Now, we know of a diaspora earlier in history where the Jews were taken, they were taken to Babylon. Here, he scattered them, okay? So, probably one of my favorite maps I've seen in a while. This is where he took them, okay? So, these areas where you see, what you're looking at is a map of the Mediterranean. You're looking at all of the local churches mentioned in the New Testament and the actual verses where these local churches are mentioned. And this is all up to 70 A.D., does anybody know what happened in 70 A.D.? The destruction of Jerusalem, the destruction of the temple, the temple, not one stone was left upon another. And I think according to the writings of the historian Josephus, who witnessed the destruction of Jerusalem, upwards of 1 to 1.2, 1.5 million people died in the siege of Jerusalem. Now, this is anecdotal, what I'm about to say. I probably need to spend more time figuring this one out. But I've heard it preached. I've heard it said by historians. Josephus does not mention, he mentions a lot of people who died. But he does not mention anybody as part of the sect of the way of the Christians dying in Jerusalem. Why is that? Where did they go? That's where they went. God supernaturally scattered them. So, in these areas where you see these churches, throughout the primarily the eastern Mediterranean from Italy uh, to the east, these were Jewish, because if you look, let's just go back, I'll just read that one more time. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad, greetings. So it sounds like he wrote, to the Jews. Well, the early church, the majority of them, until they got to these new lands, were Messianic Jews, right? They were Jews who converted to, who accepted the Lord Jesus and became Christians. But in verse 2, and I don't have it on here, it says, the very first two words, especially in the New King James, other versions might say the same, my brethren, Count it all joy of me to fall into various trials. And it goes on through there. So James is speaking to his brothers in the Lord. And so by extension, this is where we're going to get into as we look in, at James chapter 4. By extension, he is also speaking to those who are part of the diaspora today. Is there anybody you can think of in this congregation that's part of the diaspora today? Not, I'm not referring to Jewish background. We've all been scattered across the earth. All believers are scattered across the earth. So this is a type and shadow a little bit that we are strangers and aliens in this world. And the sermon title today, again, is Don't Seek the Friendship of the World. But we're really going to focus on, we are going to focus on that, 
But there's two other things we're going to focus on more, and one of those is worldliness, because that's what we see in the first part of James chapter 4. So there's two themes in today's text. Theme number one is a warning against worldliness. That's the heavy part of the, of the message this morning. And that's verses 1 through 4. I'm going to call verses 5 and 6 a transition. I didn't read that anywhere. That's just my reading and how I look at it as a transition. In verses 7, 8, 9, and 10, we then see the second theme, which is humility cures worldliness. So here's a question. I didn't look it up. At 2.30 in the morning, I woke up. I wasn't feeling very well, and I thought, I need to look that up in the dictionary. I know what the Bible says about, we all know what the Bible says about worldliness. But what does the world say about worldliness? And I was just going to look it up in the dictionary, but I just, I was too busy. And at 2.30 in the morning, I couldn't get out of bed. I was so wiped out, right? Everybody knows that feeling? Okay. Especially you guys getting up on Friday morning. But what does the world think about worldliness. What is the world, what is worldliness to a person of the world? It's their normal life. It's their normal life. Okay? It's not our normal life, or at least it shouldn't be our normal life. So let's go ahead and take a look at these two themes. So the first theme, again, is a warning against worldliness. So let's go back to James chapter 4, verse 1, and we'll read through this again. We have some certain words underlined that we're going to dig a little Greek. Everybody's going to get their Greek, um, your associate's degree in Greek this morning. I apologize, but it's real simple. James 4, verse 1. Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from the desi- your desires for pleasure that war in your members? That reminds us of something we read months ago in James 1, Verses 13 through 15. In my Bible, you just go back a page. So let's look at that. Verse 13, chapter 1. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then, when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. So we have that. God does not tempt. Right? Verse 13. Let no one say when he's tempted that I am tempted by God. Each one's tempted when they're drawn away by their own desires. So back here again, we see that where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure? That war in your members, in your body, in your mind, in your soul? Next is the word pleasure. So what we're going to take is we're going to take an onion, and I didn't bring an onion up here. Maybe that would have cured my stuffiness, I don't know. But we're going to peel it back a little bit. So what we're going to look at is the word pleasure. The Greek word is hedon, and it means sensual delight. 
Two weeks ago, we looked at a, we looked at uh, in the latter part of James chapter three, and we looked at two different types of wisdom. If anybody remembers that, heavenly wisdom versus demonic or worldly wisdom. Okay, and what we saw was that worldly wisdom is sensual. In verse in chapter three, verse fifteen, in talking about this demonic or worldly wisdom, it says this wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly sensual, demonic, okay? Now we see this word pleasure in chapter 4 of verse 1. Hedon means sensual delight. Sensual, we talked two weeks ago about the five senses being led by your senses, not by we, not walking by faith, but walking by sight, walking by touch, walking by taste, walking by how you feel. That is not how we are to walk in the kingdom of God. We are to walk by faith. Amen? So digging a little deeper into this word hedon, we see that the word hedon is the root word for the English word, or it's the root for the English word hedonism. Is anybody familiar with that word? Not heathenism, but it's not far off. Hedonism. So some might say, Oh, Jim, what is hedonism? Hedonism is the absolute pursuit of pleasure with no pain, with no grief, with no ramifications, with no consequences. So we had, I'm not going to go back to the map, but picture that map. God scatters his people out of the Holy Land, and they move generally in a west-northwest manner. Some went along the Mediterranean coast, Egypt, into Libya, and further to Carthage over time. But in these first, because this book was written right around late 40s, 50 AD. Okay, so 20, we're just kind of guesstimating here a little bit, 20 years after um, the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus. And so these people are moving, and they come from a what? A Hebrew-Jewish worldview. Amen? They have been influenced somewhat by Hellenistic culture. Many of them spoke Greek. But now they're moving into pagan areas, right? They're moving into areas where actually Hedon, we're going to see this in just a second here, Hedon was worshipped. We would see it as hedonism. Hedon is actually the Greek goddess of pleasure. She also, her Romanized or Latinized name is Volpatas, I think it is. We get the word voluptuous from it. You get the picture, (laughs) okay? So these Christians are now, they're coming out of this, this, the Holy Land, they're moving right into the middle of Hellenistic culture all around them. Just think of the worldview culture shock that they're dealing with, and they're dealing with this. This last bullet point here, Hedon is the Greek goddess of pleasure. It is also mentioned, and I got this from a secular site, she was seen as a daimon. Does that ring a bell with anybody? That is, I don't have it on the screen, that is the root word for demon. So she is seen as a demonic 
entity. She didn't. She doesn't have a temple in Rome or in Athens or anything like that. She was seen as a disembodied spirit that influenced people for pleasure. Look at our culture today. So let's not look at the culture that they ran into. Let's just look at our own culture today. Does our culture preach the virtues of pleasure? Does our culture preach the virtues of pleasure without consequence? Amen? I didn't want to say this, but I'm going to say it. Issue one was an issue that Hadon was involved in. She voted, right? She voted yes for that one. What other practice out there can you enjoy that sensual pleasure of procreation and yet say, I don't want pain. I don't want consequence. I don't want circumstances. I don't want to be burdened and we'll just eliminate that. So that's hedonism in our modern viewpoint. You can see it that way. So where do wars and fights come from among you? They come from within ourselves. And we see that in chapter one and also in chapter four. Uh, These desires and these pleasures that war in our members Word of caution. As we read this, this was not written to pagans. It was written to, verse 2, chapter 1, my brethren. It was written to them, and by extension, it was written to us. Verses 2 and 3. You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight in war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss, that you may spend it on your pleasures. There's that word again, hedonism. So we have a couple of words. Uh, we're going to look at some Greek words here for amiss and spend. But let's think about this. This is written to fellow believers. The people in those churches that we saw on that map, we are going to meet one day. We're going to meet them one day. Amen? Amen. I'm going to ask them how they got through this, and they're going to ask me, well, man, I saw your era. How did you get through yours? The Lord, (laughs) right? You lust and do not have. Do Christians lust today and do not have? Lust doesn't necessarily mean physical. It can mean a whole lot of other things. Do Christians want things that they shouldn't have? And everyone said amen. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. It doesn't necessarily mean you physically murder somebody. You can murder somebody in your mind. You can murder somebody in your heart. You covet. doesn't mean you're actually going to take that item, whatever you're coveting, but if you do it in your heart and your mind, you might as you be doing it physically as well. You fight, you war, it means you battle. Yet you do not have because you do not ask. So what do we do as Christians? We say, well, I don't have, I need to ask the Lord. So look at the next verse, for three. You ask, so now we're going to ask. First we didn't ask, now we're going to ask. You ask, but you don't receive. Has anybody ever been there in our life 
where we've asked and we've asked and we asked, yet we never received. Every hand would go up. I'd put two hands up. We've all been there. You ask and you do not receive because you ask amiss. So the word amiss in Greek is the word kakos, kakos, however you want to pronounce that. It means badly. It means diseased. Not necessarily diseased in the sense of physical health. It's diseased in that it's corrupted. Um, it's depraved or it's worthless. So let's change that. You ask and you do not receive because you ask worthlessly. You ask depravedly. You ask in a diseased manner or you just flat out ask badly. Well, why? Why are we asking badly? That you may spend it on your pleasures. We know what pleasures is. We've already seen that. It is by God's grace that we do not get what we ask for when we ask out of wrong motives. Has anyone here ever asked for anything and your motives were not entirely where they should have been? The mature Christian would say, yes, and they would look back on it and praise the Lord that the answer never came. And I can see that in my own life. Let's look at this word spend real quick. The Greek word is dapto. It's the root of the root. I chose that one. It means to devour. So not only are we asking badly or, or worthlessly or in a depraved manner, we're also planning, if we get this what we ask, we're planning to devour it on our pleasures. And now we know what pleasures means. Now I know we might be thinking, this isn't turkey run. We don't have people who lust and don't have. We don't have murderers here at Turkey Run. For those watching on YouTube or the podcast, we actually don't have murderers here at Turkey Run, but for the point, we don't covet. We don't fight in war amongst our members. We never at Turkey Run ask amiss. We never ask badly, and we would never, never devour or consume it on worldly pleasures. What about those churches that James wrote to? They were washed in the blood of the Lord Jesus just as we are. This is worldliness and this is creeping in. It's creeping into these churches here and it's creeping into our modern day churches today in our own culture. Our culture's creeping in slowly and slowly. Let's go to uh, verse number four. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that fellowship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. When Seth put his slides up in Sunday school, he had so much on that. And I thought, Seth and I must have been burning the midnight oil together because this slide is going to get busy real quick, and I apologize for that. I just had to get it all on one slide. Adulterers and adulteresses. It's not necessarily referring to men and women who committed adultery. 
It's talking about men and women, adulterers and adulteresses. So you have a male and a female who have committed adultery against the Lord, not necessarily against their spouses. And talking about friendship with the world. Friendship. We know that. The word Philadelphia in Pennsylvania comes from this root word, phila or philos. A friend, fond of, or companion. Do you not know that to be fond of the world is enmity with God? So what is the world? So the Greek word here is cosmos. It's the world system, the world's affairs, the goods. This is right out of Strong's. The goods, the riches, the pleasures. We know that word now. The advantages of being in the world system and embracing the world system and the endowments that happen when you line up with the world system. I was going to put it up here, but I decided not to. We've all seen the meme or the pictures of the one fish going this direction and the hundreds of fish going this direction, right? That's the world system. They're all going that way, but there's one fish, and that's us, and we're going this way. We're going against the flow. So only dead fish swim downstream, right? So anyway, what about enmity? The Greek word is ekthra. It means hatred or hostile. So we go back and read that verse again. Do you not know that to be fond with the cosmos, the world system, is hatred or hostility with God? We do not want to be in that position in our relationship with God. Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. The word enemy is ekthros. It means odious, hateful, in opposition, and repugnant. So whoever wants to be fond of or a companion or a friend of the world system makes himself odious, repugnant of God. We don't want to be that person, right? Nobody wants to be that person. I pray not. So you might say, Jim, I don't know anybody like that. Well, I'm going to give you three right out of the Bible. Oh, if I can find it here. Here we go. Demas, if you look at 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10. I'll read verse 9 as well. Be diligent to come to me quickly. For Demas has forsaken me. That word forsaken is the same Greek word that Seth used when he, when he read in Mark chapter 16 or 15 where Jesus cried out on the cross, why have you forsaken me? It is the same exact Greek word. Verse 10, for Demas has forsaken me. Why? Here it is. Having loved this present world. And then it says he went on to Thessalonica. Another person went to Galatia and another person went to Dalmatia. But here's Demas. Demas is mentioned in three New Testament books. If you looked at the majority of those times, it said Demas was a faithful companion with Paul. Demas was a fellow minister with Paul. But then we see in 2 Timothy 4, Demas forsook Paul. Why? Because he loved this present world. 
Demas, all of a sudden, became an enemy of God. Let's look at somebody else. Two gentlemen. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 18 to 20. Make sure I get this. Oops, went to the wrong one. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 18 to 20. Hymenaeus and Alexander. Now it says there, I just typed it in as a synopsis. Shipwreck their faith, delivered to Satan. So let's read about these gentlemen. Again, this is Paul writing to Timothy. Verse 18, this charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage uh, the good warfare, having faith and a good conscience, which some having rejected concerning the faith have suffered shipwreck, of whom are, and here they are, Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I delivered to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. They shipwrecked their faith. Would it be safe to say that if somebody was on a shipwreck, that means they were on the ship to wreck. If they shipwrecked their faith, they must have been in the faith to then shipwreck their faith. I read commentaries that said, well, these guys really weren't Christians. I find that hard to believe really find that hard to believe. So there's there's number two. So we have one, two, three. Let's go to two more guys. Wow, Hymenaeus, he gets around. At first I thought, is it a different Hymenaeus? Is that a common name? This is the same Hymenaeus, but he's actually mentioned in 2 Timothy 2.15. So at least we don't have to turn very, very far. 2 Timothy 2.15 to 18. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. We've all heard that scripture. We all know that one. But let's keep going. Verse 16. But shun profane and idle babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness. And I would add worldliness, probably. And their message will spread like cancer. Hymenaeus and Philetus are of this sort, who have strayed concerning the truth, saying that the resurrection is already past, and they overthrow the faith of some. God is very jealous for his people. And if people overthrow the faith of others, he does not look too kindly on this. So, Satan, or excuse me, Paul delivered Satan, excuse me, Hymenaeus over to Satan, hopefully for the destruction of his flesh that his soul may live. But then we see in the next book, here's Hymenaeus again. Not only has he shipwrecked his face, now he's strayed concerning the truth. If you dig a little bit deeper, Hymenaeus was active in the church in Ephesus. Hymenaeus was a follower of Gnosticism. So one of the things that Hymenaeus was a follower of, or he was persuaded to follow Gnosticism. Let's continue. Verses 5 and 6. 
Or do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously, but he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. He yearns jealousy. I will not read the Greek to you, but God pursues us. He intensely craves us and he desires to have fellowship or to be with us. He resists the proud. He battles against or opposes the haughty. And then he gives grace. This is the transition verses right here. Then he gives grace to the humble. He gives favor to the lowly in spirit, which reminded me of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, chapter 3. We actually read from that last week. Blessed are those who are lowly or low in spirit. What happens? They will see the kingdom of God. So that's our transition. As we wrap up, part two, humility cures worldliness. James 4, 7 through 10. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Very quickly, we're just going to go through some bullet points here. You tell me if I miss something here. Submit to God. Resist the devil. Draw near to God. Cleanse your hands. Purify your hearts. Lament. There we go. Purify your hearts. Lament, mourn, and weep. Laughter to mourning and joy to gloom. And lastly, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. Did I miss anything? I missed a lot. But as we read those, what does that tell us? Where is the, where is the action in what we just read? The movement toward, thank you, Todd, we are doing something toward God. We are submitting to God. We are resisting the evil one. We are drawing near to God. We are cleansing our hands. Hands make, make me think of works, so cleanse your works. We're purifying our hearts. We're lamenting over our worldliness, over our sin. We're mourning and weeping over that. If we have laughter because of our worldliness, because that's the context of the verses we're looking at, we need to be mourning. If we have joy over the advantages of worldliness, we need to be gloom. And then we need to humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord. So what am I missing? I'm missing the reaction to moving toward God. He will flee from you. So do we really think, Pastor Mike, let's use you as an example because you're sitting up front and I pick on James too much. Pastor Mike submits to God, whatever whatever the issue is. And then Pastor Mike resists the devil and the devil goes, Pastor Mike is resisting me. I better get out of here. Do you think the submission to God had something to do with the devil fleeing? Because that was done before you resisted the evil. Okay? So that's God responding 
He will draw near to you, God moving towards us. And lastly, the very last one, he will lift you up. The one thing I didn't say, and this is, this is it, everything we just saw there isn't fate. I don't believe in fate. I don't believe in luck. <laughs> that last slide, all those actions, submitting to God, resisting the devil, drawing near to him, cleansing our hands, purifying our hearts, etc., etc., humbling ourselves in the sight of the Lord. It's a choice. It's a choice we must make. When we recognize, remember I mentioned earlier, no way the people at Turkey Run deal with any of these issues. It was that was back in the 1st century church in 70 AD. We saw the map no way, we don't deal with this stuff. When we, let's get back to reality, when we recognize worldliness creeping into our lives, we must act quickly and accordingly. And we must always remember that this was written to fellow believers, our brothers and sisters, and by extension, it is written to us. So I'm going to say this. This is not an altar call. We're not going to have people come up or anything like that. But if there's anyone here today, I had a gut check last night on this, this message. If there's anyone here today, and we, this word, what we read, not my words, what we read, if it struck a chord, I encourage you to run as fast as you can. I don't mean up here. Run as fast as you can and draw near to him. And you just saw all those bullet points. Resist. Draw near. He will draw near to you. Because if we don't, when worldliness creeps in, and believe me, it will. It will try. I guarantee you that. If we don't react quickly, it can get a foothold. And we don't want that. It impacts all of us here. It impacts the whole body, the universal body of Christ. So everybody stand and we'll pray. And then after prayer, Marvin will lead us in the doxology. Let's pray. Father, Lord, thank you for your word. Lord, this is not an easy chapter, <laughs> especially after Thanksgiving week where we're so joyful and giving thanks. But Lord, we can give thanks to you because we can draw near. We can give thanks to you because you've given us the ability to resist. So Lord, we pray for our brothers and sisters here at Turkey Run, anybody listening online or wherever they may be, Lord, that they would respond where you lead, Lord. Father, we commit from this day forward to be people of your word, 
Lord, we, re- we commit to be people who, when pressed, when attacked, when harassed by whether it's worldliness, the evils of this world, whether it's at our jobs, wherever we find ourselves, Lord. Lord, when the temptations are strong to go with the flow for our careers, when the temptations are strong to do that little extra that the world would say is the right thing to do, even though we know it's not the wrong thing to do to make a little extra money for our budget. Father, be with us. Be that still, small voice. And remind us, Lord, to react quickly and accordingly. In Jesus' name, amen. Marvin.